When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Score North, Minnesota sports, anytime, anywhere, scorenorth.com. All right, we are back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Manny Hill is producing, and we go to one of our friends from Pro Football Focus, Sam Monson. What's going on, Sam? Hey, I'm doing good. How about you guys? Uh, we're doing great, and we have just been doing draft simulations and uh, going through trying to find offensive linemen who are uh, plug-and-play, as they say. But I-, I wanted to ask you first, Sam, about something kind of a little bit different before we get into the Vikings here. And it's just, uh, I-, I feel like I've noticed a sea change in the way people consume draft stuff, whether it's simulating it or especially the pro football focus statistics, which I use extensively in my writing and so many journalists do. And, and, and then fans are much more aware because of the statistics and the grades that you guys put out and the social media stuff that you do of what they're getting with these prospects. I, I, I'd just like to hear you talk about sort of that process for you guys of pro football focus of uh, kind of becoming part of this mainstream draft internet uh, as a whole and what that sort of meant to the way people consume the draft now. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's not something that we've been driving necessarily, but it's headed that way for years. You know, the draft started off way back when as, as nothing but a get together by the NFL. And then guys like Mel Kuyper realized that this was something that people would be interested in watching and it's really just developed from there. You know, the internet brought its own changes. Now everybody wants to know everything about these guys, not just what, um, you know, a, a guy like Mel Kuyper thinks or Mike Mayock thought of these guys. Uh, they want to know information about them. They want hard facts and data, not just opinions of specific draft analysts. So I think we're just seeing, and it's not necessarily just the draft, we're seeing across the board people want the information to be able to make up their own mind on certain things. They don't want to be able to, they don't want to just be fed the same platitudes. And I think that's it's kind of why PFF was started in the first place. Instead of hearing about guys that are, you know, this is one of the best in the league, according to whatever random announcer is doing that game, you know, that's not true. And now you have some data so that you can do a bit of research and a bit of arguing yourself. And that's that was true 10 years ago when we started doing it for the NFL. It's, it's true for the draft now. You don't want to listen to just whoever's on the TV at the time telling you what a great pick it is. So as a follow-up, I'm curious about what you guys have found as you've done more and more of these 
draft guides, and the draft guide 2.0 is out now. I was just poking through that. And um, just in terms of like what it tells you about whether a prospect is going to work out or not, because we've heard many times, and I remember reading this uh, Wright Thompson article a few months ago, and a lot of people are talking about how random the draft can be. And it's true, and most studies find that no team is particularly great at drafting, but I'm wondering if you've started to find in your research that certain things that you have in terms of data correlate to actual success in the NFL. Yeah, we have. And I think, you know, with the NFL, we've got 10 plus years of data on that. Now we've got a pretty good handle on what the grades mean. When we started grading college in the 2014 season, we didn't really know what it would mean at all. So we were kind of guessing when it came to projecting these college grades forward to the NFL. We didn't know how much stock to put in athleticism, how much stock to put in just the raw overall PFF grade. Um, and now we've got guys in the building, true data scientists, you know, George Shahuri and Eric Eager in particular. And, and those guys have been running kind of correlation um, num- studies and, and trying to work out what elements of PFF's grading do translate to the next level. And some are stronger than others based off the position. Offensive line grading, pass blocking grading in particular has got a really strong correlation to the next level. But even diving deeper than the overall grades, um, pulling out certain elements of grading. So whether it's passing from a clean pocket, it's figuring out um, that kind of negative, their percentage of negatively graded throws for quarterbacks is one of the most important things of projecting how a guy's going to do at the next level rather than the number of big plays he makes. It's how many times does he screw up Um, and just understanding sort of where all these things lie in, in the whole draft landscape. And I think we're still only really beginning to scratch the surface of that in a few years time. I think we will have a much better handle on exactly what you should be looking at when it comes to projecting guys forward. But ultimately I think the kind of, the results of the draft are always going to be skewed a little bit by the landing spot where guys actually get drafted. You might have a player who is a perfect fit for, you know, a zone heavy defense gets drafted by the wrong team. They try and plug this guy into a man coverage system and he's going to look like a terrible player because he's, he's not being put in the right situation. So I think no matter how much we learn about what projects, we're always at the mercy a little bit of where these guys land. Talking with uh, Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. Sam, I want to bring something back to the top of what we talked about at the top of the show with Holton Hill being suspended for four games uh, due to a violation of the league's uh, performance-enhancing drug policy. So Vikings fans certainly don't want to see a cornerback taken at 18. But a situation like this, when you take a look at what that secondary looks like at the cornerback position for Minnesota and what happens at 18. How do you think this this could affect their draft strategy, considering the needs and considering what's going to get pushed down the line now, knowing that you really can't make any sure, sure bets right now on your cornerback situation? Yeah, I, I think nobody wants to see a team continually swing and miss at the same position or just keep plugging away at the same position in the draft. It feels like an acknowledgement of failure and to an extent it is but that's not a bad thing you know the best teams in the nfl recognize their mistakes and and rectify them quicker than anybody else and if you look at the vikings cornerbacks group over the last couple of years it hasn't been good um you know holton hill 
was the second best graded cornerback on the team last season. Um, okay, and far fewer snaps than some some other guys, but they ha- they're not in a good position at cornerback despite big money tied up in, in Xavier Rhodes and the first round pick um, tied to Trey Waynes. And you know this is a team that could easily upgrade a cornerback. And if the right guy is there at 18, I don't think it's a bad position to, again, try and upgrade at that spot. So, yeah, I, I think they're in this strange position where they have addressed a lot of – or they've thrown a lot of resource at the cornerback position, but it's still not become the strength that it should have been given that investment. So the answer to that isn't to run away and, and you know, try and focus on another position. It's to keep going until you fix it because cornerback remains – one of the most important positions in the NFL. It's one of the most vital facets when it comes to winning games. So if you're not good there, you need to get better. It's a good point. And I know that, you know, they, they've, they've swung on a lot of these guys in the first round. It's been Mike Zimmer's MO since he arrived here in 2014, that he wants to draft these guys high. When you assess this group of cornerback talent um, among, you know, the first, second, third round picks, uh, possibly, could they go? Could they still go offensive line at eighteen and get somebody who could potentially be an immediate starter? Anybody that you like in particular in a second or third round capacity? I think they could. Obviously, you're going to see a drop off. I think there's a fairly clear top three uh, when it comes to cornerbacks in this draft. I think Byron Murphy, Greedy Williams, and DeAndre Baker. In some order, that's pretty much everybody's top three, depending on what exactly you're looking for. Um, and I suspect all three of those guys will go in the first round and be long gone by the time the Vikings pick in the second. But there's a lot of guys in the second and third round um, who obviously they have a little bit more flaws to their game, but there's a lot of talent in there. Whether you're talking about, um, you know, Amani Owarie, the Penn State cornerback, who's got a lot of talent, but also some kind of rough edges to his game needs to, to improve things. You've got Rocky Asin from Temple as a guy that a lot of people are extremely high on. I think there are definitely cornerbacks that you can get um, lower down in the second and third round if you find the right offensive lineman in the first, but there is, they are going to have bigger question marks than those top three guys. Sam, can you explain the pro football focus grade on Xavier Rhodes? Because this is one that I end up um, answering a lot of questions on with Vikings fans that, you know, Xavier Rhodes here has been considered a a shutdown corner and he's a pro bowler and he makes the big contract. I think everyone would acknowledge that he wasn't as good last year. But then when you look at his rankings for pro football focus, they haven't ever been up within the elite. So I'm interested in sort of where that gap is between kind of how he's viewed and where pro football focus has him. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of people point to coverage statistics, you know, and and how a guy was held to whatever number of yards or catches in a game. Um, And that's a big part of playing cornerback, but it's not everything. For a start, you can hide an awful lot of bad coverage um, in penalties. It doesn't always result in receiving yards. If you get torched off the line of scrimmage, and instead of giving up a 75-yard touchdown, you tackle the guy and give away a you know a hold or a pass interference. It won't show up in those coverage statistics, but it's bad coverage. And you know I've seen people make the argument that that's a smart penalty, and maybe it is smarter than giving up the 75-yard touchdown, but it's not as smart as just playing better off the line of scrimmage and not getting to- torched in the first place. So I think what you see with Xavier Rhodes uh, is he does give away 
a lot of penalties over in his career. Um, he consistently gives up a lot. There were three straight years of 12 or more um, uh, uh, penalties. There's a lot of bad play in there. I think the other thing you see is that one of the things the PFF grade does is it factors in some of these plays that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet at all. So, you know, plays that don't show up on the stat sheet could be good, they could be bad, but you're not going to know unless you're actually documenting it play after play after yeah. play, and that's what PFF does for every single player. So, you know, a while ago there was a game against Julio Jones where the stats weren't great, but how many of those were great coverage by Xavier Rhodes and how many of them were overthrown passes, were pressure coming up front causing a miss, were miscommunications, were just plays where the ball didn't go in Julio Jones's direction. I had a, a clip on Twitter that pulled up a, basically a highlight package of Rhodes, you know, not doing as well as people would have thought given Julio Jones' stat sheet at the end of that game. So we've seen, I think, around 30 players so far from the AAF wind up on NFL 90-man rosters this offseason since the league has folded. Uh, the Vikings signing Carter Schultz, the pass rusher. I think, Matthew, you said he was in uh, minicamp last year. Yeah. I don't remember that. Um, but that There's none- a lot of minicamp players I don't think we remember. Nonetheless, they, they last week on Friday, they signed two defensive backs, a corner and a safety. Um I followed along with PFF's AAF coverage just because I think it's such a niche group and and now it doesn't exist. But in taking a look at some of these players, is it hard when you're looking at such a small scale of games that you're grading them on to 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 give these guys grades? I mean, what were some of the challenges um, in taking on a new league and, you know, applying some of the principles that you guys have in grading NFL players and translating that down to the AAF level. I'm curious as to how the sausage was made um, in incorporating a, in a league like this. And will this potentially be something that you guys do with the XFL in 2020? Yeah, I don't think it's hard. I mean, we essentially just applied the same principles to the NFL grading um, straight to the AAF, you know, obviously with the with the rule changes in mind. Um, but we had some debate before that league of, you know, do we want to adjust the grading scale? Because by definition, these guys are probably not going to be at the NFL level. Do we want to put out a set of grades that judges them by NFL standards, or do we want to judge them by AAS standards? You know, do we want to um, lower the bar, essentially, to make these guys look a little bit better than the NFL average? And we decided that, you know, since this thing is marketing itself as a feeder league or as a developmental league or a second chance league for the NFL, it makes sense to keep it on the NFL scale, show these guys that anybody grading at an elite level at this level is, you know, deserves recognition or, or a look by the NFL. So I think it's not harder to do the grading. All you need to understand is that obviously we're dealing with a smaller sample size here. We didn't have, we didn't even have a full AAS season of grades on these guys. So they're you know fragile they're volatile just because a guy graded extremely well over that period of time doesn't mean that he wouldn't have regressed the next season or even the next game and and that's a great unknown that you're going to have from a bunch of these guys but i think what we saw consistently all the way through the season is that the people that you would have expected to grade well in this league by and large graded well in this league they were people that have had a history of grading well at PFF in the past, whether that was in college, whether that was NFL preseason, or even guys that had sort of been um, 
you know, actual quality NFL starters, guys like Will Hill, who, you know, played well in the NFL, but is out of the league because of, you know, social media and uh, weed problems, essentially. So I think we've seen a bunch of players that justified a second look. And, you know, whether they stick on NFL rosters or not, at least they've earned themselves a place um, in training camp and, and to show what they can do. Well, it was really fun while it lasted, I thought, Sam. I, I mean, I, it was fun to sort of get into a new league and try to pick a team and start analyzing the players and things like that. It's just unfortunate that uh, they couldn't exactly get the money right. So, um, Sam, always awesome stuff, great insight. Um, I appreciate that explanation on the Xavier Rhodes thing because it's something that I'm asked a lot. So uh, I can just pull and replay your explanation each time. So thank you for that. Um, And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon and have a fun draft season, Sam. Anytime, guys. Take it easy. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.